Hi, everybody. Welcome to the B2B Sales Podcast. I'm Skip Miller. And I'm Thibaut Suiris. Every two weeks, we're going to be interviewing thought leaders, experts, and top performers in B2B sales. And every other week, we'll share tactical tips and insights on how to start conversations, generate opportunities, and close deals faster. We're on a mission to change the way people see sales. As you know, sales is a profession that is one of the most rewarding ever. Yet people are afraid to try or really extend themselves. And this isn't really good. This podcast is brought to you by Sales Labs and M3 Learning. If you want to attend the recording of the podcast episodes and ask your questions to the guests, you can join the Selling Advantage community. It's a $25 a month subscription where you get access to a community of B2B salespeople, exclusive events, and tactical resources to help you close bigger deals faster. Join today and get one month for free at www.sellingadvantage.io. So get ready for your dose of sales wisdom, tools, and tactics, and enjoy the show. Welcome everyone to this new episode of the B2B Sales Podcast. Uh, very interested and, and really happy to have uh, our next guest on the show today. So it's Mary Shea from uh, Outreach, who's like VP Global Innovation Evangelist. So Mary, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Steve. It's great to be here. Yeah, so you 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 flew all the way from uh, the US, basically. Uh, yeah, and, and now you're in London, so we can actually are almost on the, on the same time zone while we're recording that. Um, today we're going to talk about, you know, we're going to take like a high level uh, view on the future of sales. And uh, we thought it would be a really great way to have you talk about that. Um, but before we dive into the topic, can you maybe tell us more about you and, and who you are? Yeah, absolutely. So um, again, thanks again for having me. It's great to um, be with your audience today. So my name is Mary Shea and I'm a global innovation evangelist at Outreach. And I've been with Outreach uh, which is an engagement and intelligence software company based out of Seattle uh, in the U.S. for about six months now. But prior to joining Outreach, I was with Forrester as an analyst that followed uh, the future of selling in the business world. I looked at uh, a range of different sales technologies and uh, also talk about write about diversity, equity, and inclusion within the B2B sales organization. So um, I was with Forrester for about 10 years in two different stints. I started back in the back in the day, Thibaut. I was mm -hmm. a sales rep and worked my way all the way up the organization and then uh, went on to take on leadership roles at global companies. So I took on chief commercial officer, chief uh, revenue officer roles at a range of companies and um, found myself back at Forrester about six, seven years ago um, where I helped to launch the B2B uh, sales practice. So Outreach was actually one of the companies that I followed very, very closely. Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, a unicorn uh, over in the U.S., so it's a really exciting um, company, and the moment of growth is absolutely tremendous. So yeah. that's just the, you know, sort of the short version of my uh, of my background. I've been around for a while, so there's a lot more stuff I could tell you uh, over a beer when we get together sometime. <laughs> Okay, perfect. So no, that, that that's very interesting. And as you said, you started like uh, as a sales rep, and then you you've kind of like experienced the the role of being a CRO, CSO, or CCO, and then you've kind of studied these roles too. And now you're like uh, you you're at outreach like uh, with all this knowledge. So you you while we were preparing this interview, you told me about a study you you've done. You've just wrapped up about North American and, and UK sales leaders. Can you maybe tell us a bit more about the study and the kind of key findings you had? 
Yeah, I'm so excited. So uh, we partnered with Forrester to do three custom studies this year. The first one really looks at technology adoption and maturation around um, new sales technologies. The one that I was mentioning to you uh, in prior to this conversation is a survey of B2B sales leaders. So we surveyed over 200 um, heads of sales uh, across the uh, United States, Canada, and UK. And um, we wanted to really understand um, what the top sales officers worrying about, what they're thinking about as it relates to their own skill set development. As you know, I'm sure your audience knows, um, the pace of buying in the business world is evolving at such a rapid pace that that's causing some pretty significant changes in roles um, within the entire revenue organization. And specifically, we wanted to understand what CROs were doing to keep their skill set current, what they thought the most important skills were and attributes for their role, what their biggest challenges were, and uh, what was going to impact their go-to-market strategy over the next 18 months. Um, we also wanted to know what they thought about their sales managers, their first and second line sales managers in terms of their readiness to engage in uh, primarily um, digital first world. And we talked to them about the reps. And so um, that's just a super high level, but we got a lot of great detail. And here in London last evening, I shared the research formally with mm -hmm. um, uh, a networking group that uh, Tom Castley put together over here. So it's great to be here in Europe. Okay, we had Tom on the show actually also. So it was very interesting, oh, okay. the insights he, he gave us. So uh, learned a lot. And the vision he gave us for, for outreach and, and where it's going it was very exciting. So um, talking about, about this, you know, let's say, let's take, for example, the CRO, CSOs. What are, what are some kind of, uh, of key findings in terms of, I don't know, the, the skills they feel like they have to develop for, for their careers? Yeah, so I asked them what the, what the top skills that um, they thought a CRO should have. And number one was um, financial skills. So um, having the ability to um, be pretty analytical and um, understand how to engage with uh, the CFO and really start to uh, deeply understand um, financial uh, aspects of the business. What's really interesting, I don't know if Tom told you, but our boss, Anna Baird, who's outreaches CRO, is a former CFO. And she was with KPMG as a partner for many years. And so she has really strong operational background. The other thing was um, data literacy. So the ability to consume, understand, digest data and use that to drive decisions and um, anal analytical skills as well. And what's really interesting is that as we see the role is changing from, um, you know, sort of your uh, brute personality, right? Force of personality, uh, strong communicator, um, great people in leadership skills. and. We're not saying those aren't important, uh, Thibaut. We're just saying as the role shifts, there's other priorities that are more operationally focused uh, mm -hmm. that are gonna be more important for chief revenue officers to continue to um, evolve and hone their own skill set. Okay, okay, I see. And so so in terms of, uh, like, I know it's it's kind of a vague question, but of key initiatives you, you've seen for the CROs and CSOs, what are they thinking of? Like, as they look, in the next, I don't know, 12, 18 months? Yeah. What are they worrying about and what are they thinking of? 
Yeah, so um, they're definitely uh, worried about a couple of things. Um, I asked them what their top challenges were, and this one, I was kind of shocked. The number one challenge, and this was above uh, delivering predictable efficient growth, which is typically the number one job of the CRO, yeah. is that their number one challenge was leading a multi-generational sales force. And um, when you think about it, millennials are more than half the global uh, workforce now um, in the U.S. And I don't have, I apologize, I don't have a U.K. data or don't have a, a MIA data, but um, about 50% of millennials say now they are uh, driving purchase decisions. So I think we've been talking about that cohort for a long time. And uh, back in the early days when I was writing about millennials, it was more of, you know, they were serving. They were doing the initial research, making the recommendations. Well, today, Tebow, we're, we're in a world where these folks are, you have C in front of their title. They're mm -hmm. economic decision makers, very comfortable using technology um, to have conversations like we're having today. They don't feel a barrier to relationship building or to having authentic connections. They mm -hmm. value efficiency. Also, um, this cohort really values, um, I want to say, consensus building. So we're seeing you know, anywhere from 11 to 22 folks involved in an enterprise sale decision. So um, lots of complexities are being added. But in terms of the CRO, you know, uh, I'm a boomer. I call myself a boomer reboot because I have more in common with the millennials than actually my generation. Very, I'm very, very late boomer, just to set the record straight. But um you know, uh, companies are, are are now dealing with uh, talent shortages, uh, the desire for highly high transparency around communication. They're looking for their CEO and C-suite executives to take a stand on political and social issues. We're seeing this stateside with so many um, social dynamics in play, and they're asking a lot of the leaders. And so that was that was sort of the top uh, the top problem. Okay. Okay. See, so, yeah, I think the you know what? One thing I've I've actually observed. So I'm a millennial myself, and um, now I I started realizing. So I'm I'm 30, and I started realizing that the reps I was training were Zoomers basically. Yeah. And uh, you can see the gap. It's crazy. I connect really well with millennials, but Zoomers they see me as an old like weird dude. Old dude, <laughs> so, huh? Yeah. It's very strange. It's so funny. Yeah, we were. I was talking to Manny Medina about this. He's Outreach's CEO, and we just. Uh, we'll be dropping a podcast on my podcast called Revenue Innovators next week with Manny. So um, if your audience is interested in that, but he was saying, you know, we have, um, uh, we're a little bit over, over indexed on the, on, on the younger side at outreach. Um, we have some folks like myself as well, but uh, the majority of our, our, our SDRs and our, our first sales hires are, are Zoomers. Their mm -hmm. average age is 23. And so, um, you know, great multitaskers, folks who are, you know, born with a mobile um, or, or pretty close there. And um, what's really interesting on the talent side, Thibaut, is that they won't go work at companies that don't have a tier one sales tech stack. So mm -hmm. they're starting to ask in interviews, you know, what's, what data provider do you use? Um, what kind of um, engagement and intelligence platform do you have? Because they know they can't be successful without the right technology. So um, as we have uh, this big talent shortage as we go into uh, 2022, we're having something we call a great resignation on on mm -hmm. in the U.S. Have you heard of that over here? Yeah, yeah. 
where I think people have been inside for the last 18, 19 months and they're reevaluating their personal and professional priorities. And if things don't align, they're trying to find something that's a better fit and it's a candidate's market. So um, it's really interesting out there. Yeah, that, that's that's very, uh, for me, I remember like when, when the pandemic started, I was just uh, expecting like a, a, a sharp downturn in economy and hiring and everyone was thinking the same. You know, they were like, okay, there's not going to be, no one was hiring, hiring. And now it's crazy how it's the same in Europe. Like uh, it's very hard to find SDRs in the US, but you have one thing, one thing that is great is that uh, you have one language, which is English. In right. Europe, we have all these different languages. And a lot of people ask me, I'm based in Berlin. I said, you know, right. SDRs who speak German. And I'm like, yeah, yeah good luck. You know, it's not yeah. many who do. I was talking to at the networking group that we had uh, last evening. We were having the same conversation. And um, one of the commercial directors said, yeah, if you speak German, you know, you, you're all set. And um, I have a cousin who has... Uh, working on a PhD in, in uh, German language. And I was, I, I was like, do you want to come over and work here? You'll make a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. And I, I've discussed with a lot of, of people in Germany and sales leaders. It's the, um, in Germany, we have this problem where uh, it, it's seen as a tier two or tier three job to actually work in sales. There's a lot of social pressure on being a doctor, being an archaeologist, like a, a, right. a lawyer or something. And so it's, it's very challenging there. Well, let's talk about that for a minute, because that's yeah. such an interesting topic. There was a Wall Street Journal article, I think it was um, probably about two or two months ago, and um, basically it was like, no one wants to go into sales. And um, many of us who value the sales profession were so offended by the article because it's such a wonderful profession. It's a great equalizer. There's no There's no barriers to entry, right? from a social, economic, educational background, mostly. Mm -hmm. And you can be the CEO of your own business. Certainly you have a board and you have other people to tell you what your swim lanes are. But if you're creative and ambitious and you've got the grit and you're technology savvy, you, you're running your own franchise and you can be so successful and, and make a lot of money. And I think as we think about sellers partnered with technology, automation and namely, you're going to eliminate all those downstream activities that I guess sellers spend about 40% of their time um, historically doing stuff that's not very strategic. But as we offload that to the bots, the selling profession is going to be much more consultative. You're going to be delivering much more advice and using the insights that you're gathering from the large data sets that are required from technologies like outreach, you're going to be able to have really personalized and consultative interactions. So I think it's just an amazing profession, but I understand uh, what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I think it's uh, just people have the wrong expectation about what sales is, is about. And, uh, you know, I guess some, some sales jobs are not that fun in specific industries, right. but some when you have a good tech stack, when people understand, as you said, that they can use data to make our life as sellers easier, it's super important. And personally, I can, I can testify on that. Like sales has brought me, the ability to manage my own business and so right. to put revenue in front of everything and then when you have revenue you just like you figure out the rest it's actually a lot simpler and so i learned that by running like my own kind of like quota and and building the french market for a, a company in the us and so i think it's it's um the, the the freedom you get also because if you you can manage your day as you want as long as you reach your targets and so i think it's it's a very interesting profession for that 
Totally. And now as that we're seeing, there's even more freedom because there's uh, much more remote work that's becoming, I don't know how it is here, but in the States, it's becoming more and more accepted. And we think that's going to create more diversity within sales teams because you don't have to hire everyone who lives in Boston or yeah. everyone who lives in Seattle. You can hire people for wherever. And now we're, we're thinking about looking at, you know, sort of time zone fluidity types of jobs. So, I mean, I think the future of work is incredibly exciting and, yeah. uh, you know, sales is a great place to be. Let's talk about that. So like, uh, you know, remote work, yesterday I saw a post where I really liked the post. The guy was saying, um, I'm not gonna, I'm not going back to the office ever, no matter what. Just, I'm not saying why, or I'm just not going back. Whoa. And so uh, I thought it was really fun to say that, but what's your, what's the, maybe the data you have, or what's your vision on the remote yeah. work, basically? Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to be in a hyper hybrid world. So, um, and, and I think with remote work, Thibaut, I kind of think that the cat's out of the bag, so to speak. It, you know, genie's out of the bottle. There, there's no going back. And um, employers that are inflexible will lose great talent. And we're starting to see in North America, in FinServe and other types of industries where the CEO and chief people officer are saying, you know, everyone's going to have to be in the office. And I think that's a huge mistake. Apple's saying it as well. Um, companies that have invested a lot in a headquarters where their brand is really tied into that headquarters um, experience. Maybe if there's a lot of collaboration and stuff, they're putting, you know, they're putting the edict down and saying folks have to work in the office, or they're giving them pay hits if they live in less expensive places mm -hmm. than, you know, a Palo Alto or something like that. Yeah. I think that's a flawed strategy because at the end of the day, we're going to see massive competition for talent, Tebow, mm -hmm. and talent is going to go work where uh, they can do a workcation, go to Portugal and work for two weeks there, um, or what, whatever it is, mm -hmm. and they want to be judged by their outcomes and what they accomplish, not uh, where they're going in to punch a card. So I, I don't think we're ever going back, but I'd love your perspective. I'd love a, a, a European lens on that. Yeah, so I, I think it's, uh, I also, I totally agree with you. I think it's actually a big mistake to think, say, we have invested in a big office and we want you to all come back. So uh, my father owns a, owns a business in Switzerland and, and that's, it's kind of an industrial business. So th that's his point of view. They could actually run and make everything work remote, but they just won't go back to the office. But that's his stuff. And, yeah. uh, but, but, you know, for me, I believe like, I, I think it's, as you said, you have this, this crazy competition for talent. And I was talking right before having a chat with someone who was leaving her job, becoming freelancer. And she was telling me I'm leaving the job and, and I really want to become freelancer because I'm sometimes drawn too much into the culture of the company. Like there's events, yeah. stuff and everything. And I yeah, think when you're junior and starting your, your business is great. But when you're like, like more senior in your career, you have other priorities in life. You have your family and you want to be, as you said, judge on your outcome. And you actually want to be able to uh, to do less of the stuff that is related about building this kind of physical work culture and more about what's the outcome? How can I, you know, realize the vision of the company? And I think remote really helps with that. Totally. There's so many um, stories I can tell you. I was speaking with a chief commercial officer the other day, and she said she has two children and a husband. And she said, this was the first time in my whole career that I actually could have breakfast with my children because she'd have to leave at 7 a.m. so she yeah. could get a four to be able to pick them up from school. 
And she said, well, we were happy to, you know, go on vacation, actually get out of the house after 18 yeah. months. Um, it was such a great experience for the family. And what I've also heard is, um, you know, I have time to take care of my dogs. I have time to mm-hmm. uh, work out in the middle of the day or go take a walk and um, eat better. And so yeah. I was talking, one of our board members said he lost 10 pounds. Um, he's eating healthier. He's working out. And he's like, it's so efficient. You don't have mm-hmm. to be there. Um, so, you know, I do think that we will see a very interesting future of work that will be highly dependent on, um, technology, Mm -hmm. but I do want to just bring out one point that where I see, um, some pressure points and that's folks early in their career, Tebow, who maybe they live in an apartment with two or three other people. It's their first time living on their own. Um, and I, I found from my conversations with the zoomers that they actually, really kind of need and want that office structure. So mm-hmm. I don't know if you're seeing that too. Yeah. I mean, obviously it's easy to want to work from home or remote when you have the money to go in a stake workation or have a big house. It's amazing. Right. But yeah. as you said, when you're just getting started first, you, I remember how my first years in sales were central to my life right now. I mean, I developed right. skills, I developed friendship. I met my wife over there. So uh, that was so important for me. It's not anymore. But I, I would I would have I would be missing on so much, you know, if I if I didn't start. So I think that's why the you know you were talking about this hybrid concept. I think is is very right. important, and I think it's just really about giving a choice, and uh, and, and giving the tools to people to actually be able to, to work in this. And and I think using uh, offices are like collaboration hubs, where you know you're not forced to come, but you know you can come to actually have this really productive time and ideas is great. And yeah, I think it's important to be to be inclusive of all the people in there because we're all in different uh, like uh, places in our journey. And as yep. you said, when you're getting started, just like working from your uh, your small like uh, bedroom is just not fun. Not great. And also, you know, who else is uh, first time parents? So parents with young kids, and you know that can be really yep. challenging. So I think the key is flexibility and pliability, right? To have these exactly. collaboration hubs and look. FaceTime is important. I, I I consider what we're doing right now is FaceTime because we can see each other. But there's something about being in, in you know in person um, and having those connections. So I think companies need to make an effort to when it's safe bring people together for for yeah. social and, and other collaboration reasons. Exactly, exactly. And so, what about uh, because for me, I'm a huge advocate of uh, of remote work. I think it's it's just incredible. But I'm also a huge advocate of like uh, time zone independent work. So what's your yeah. what's your your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean, so basically, you know, I think that the lines between work and personal life are pretty blurred already at, at this point. Um, most of the people I know don't work sort of nine to five jobs, and there's you know maybe maybe if you're you're a teacher or or some type of profession where there is that. Um, that strong cutoff point, but most people are working pretty much all the time. And then, like you said, we all have lives Mm -hmm. and um, we have to go to doctor's appointments and we have to do this. And we may want to go work in uh, Singapore or experience something new. And so um, I'm, I'm all for it. I think having uh, as much flexibility to work anywhere all over the world is, is the way to go. If your company will allow that and you can be Mm -hmm. productive again, I think it's about, focusing on outcomes. Mm-hmm. 
Exactly. Yeah. Because for me, you know, my, my wife comes from Mexico. So um, I love Mexico. I, I, the more I go, the more I feel like it's home for me. And, uh, and, and, you know, obviously winters are terrible here in Berlin. They're amazing in Mexico. So uh, for me, I can make it work because I have the business. But, but uh, I think it's just, uh, as you said, if you focus on outcomes and if you make sure that you are uh, setting meetings in time zone friendly, you know, like often meetings are great. If you take Europe and North America, they are great, like in the afternoon in, in, in Europe, because they're inclusive for everyone. And so I think if you, if you, if you kind of understand that some meetings could actually be just some videos that are in asynchronously yeah. held yeah. is a good way to do that. So it's That's very interesting. Really great too. Yeah, exactly. You know, seeing more and more work being done uh, with videos, absolutely really critical um just on a on a personal note where, where's what part of mexico is your wife from uh it's a it's a an area called guanajuato which is like in the center of mexico that's my and, favorite uh, one of my favorite places guanajuato okay. uh, do you know san miguel de allende yes also? i've been many many times so yeah. I, my first job out of college was as a, a principal oboist in the guadalajara symphony so oh, nice. i traveled all over Mexico. I know all of the major cities and I frequently go back to Guanajuato as a music festival. People yeah. go back to Guanajuato and San Miguel de Allende. And also I love um, the Mexico city as well. It's the culture, yeah. the culture, the restaurants, the energy. It's so vibrant. It's crazy. I mean, we, we have a house in San Miguel de Allende. So we, we go often there in winter. So if you come back, uh, tell me, I can, I can, I, uh, I, Typically go every year, except for okay. COVID. So, well, I'll have to let you know. We'll, we'll have and we, to, we uh, Airbnb the house. So, uh, it's you know, like uh, if you want a really, really cool house, yeah, you you let me know. <laughs> we can talk so, about that offline. <laughs> well, we'll definitely talk about that offline. I, I'm <laughs> totally into it. So, yeah. anyway. Anyway, back to sales. <laughs> back to so, sales. there was like a, a really uh, shocking like uh, thing that I've seen in, in, in the report you, you kind of shared with me for the preparation. It was the number one skill um, sales reps had to master. And I was uh, being like, uh, like I think it was technology adept, basically being able yes. to learn and pick up new technologies really fast. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and this is what was reported back by the CROs uh, across uh, North America and the UK was the number one skill that they thought was important for success in a salesperson was technology adeptness. And I think it's absolutely um, spot on. And that was ahead of um, um, relationship building skills, which came second. And I was happy to see that because I do think that at least in enterprise sales, um, the human connection is so important. Um, it's an emotional purchase on the business side, which sometimes people don't really realize, but your job's on the line when you pick a, a, a big partner, right? Yeah. So, um, but in today's environment, I think, um, you know, you cannot survive and thrive if you don't know how to be your own micro marketer, right? Mm -hmm. And you'll be working 24 take the efficiencies that technology affords you. So I think it was really um, the right call. Um, the other things that are interest that are important are um, data literacy. So having the ability to consume data and understand what those insights are, and to um, have a digital first mindset. So while you may have analog meetings or in-person meetings over time, 
the bar will be very, very high for those meetings. And um, so you have to be comfortable walking the digital highway, you know, on LinkedIn or um, whatever is your, your platform of choice. Yeah. And I, I think what, what you said, everyone has to be their own mini marketer, I think it is, is so key. They talk a lot about personal brands. And um, and so I think there's always a, a challenge when you are, um, you know, you have reps who are supposed to, I mean, evaluated on, you know, reaching like a quota. It's always hard to kind of build a personal brand that doesn't really fit with the, the ICP you're going after. But I think, as you said, like being able to understand how LinkedIn, for example, works, it's a, it's a social network. So there's like, there's, there's ways of working that are, you know, built in that you can work with and yeah. uh, that can generate conversations, can generate awareness. And I think it's so important to be able to understand all these tools. It's so important to understand the tools and then also what the right methods are to gain the ultimate success. So, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Seismic. That's a company um, also based in the States mm -hmm. that helps sellers quickly access content, modify it, deliver it, and brings the data and analytics back into the organization. Um, they acquired a company out of Canada called Grapevine 6, and mm -hmm. it helps with social selling, so social selling activities. But what the company has is this uh, really cool um uh, uh, Chrome plugin mm -hmm. that allows you to overlay on top of a digital profile. It could be Facebook, it could be LinkedIn, or what have you, and immediately understand what that person is interested in. So, mm -hmm. if you overlay it on my profile, you'll see, you know, strategy, you'll see technology, you'll see CRM or whatever mm -hmm. it is, and then the system recommends pieces of content that's going to. Uh, resonate with that particular individual. That content could be the marketing content that you've created or external aggregate mm -hmm. content that it pulls in. And you can share that and with someone you've never spoken to, and it can be a direct hit and you're already out adding value. And so those are the kinds of things, the ability to have hyper-personalization mm -hmm. that will be really big differentiators for salespeople. And so I think the CRO saw that and, and understand that Without technology, you, you know, you're, you are going to be left behind. And without updated methods, like being able to engage across social platforms um, with the right etiquette, the right nuance and mm -hmm. personalization, all of those are important. Yeah, exactly. And so you touched on personalization. So I have one last question for you. It's, it's really about if you had one and one only tip to give uh, SDRs when they are prospecting CROs and CSOs, what would be that tip? The tip would be do your research, you know, and um, make sure that whenever you reach out to somebody that you understand what motivates them, what uh, affiliations they belong to, what activities um, they typically like, what was the last podcast that they were on, listen to it and reference something. Um, I get probably 20 to 30 cold outreach um, a, a week, right? Whether it's in LinkedIn or email. Oftentimes people are asking me, if I wanna buy uh, some sort of technology solution for the sales team that I lead. Well, I don't have a sales team uh, anymore. I used to. And if you looked at my profile, you quickly understand that. And so I think, you know, the reps that don't do that are really doing a disservice to their company, their brand yeah. and to themselves. So I would say, you know, do your research, be prepared because C CROs will take that call. They mm -hmm. want to learn um, as long as the messaging is tailored to their interests. Yeah. I often take it like, um, um, so there's maybe, you know, about Skip Miller, he's doing proactive selling. I think he trained. Uh, oh yeah, trained. totally. 
Yeah. yeah. And so it talks about the uh, kids table and the adults table. And I always really like this metaphor because uh, you have like in big family parties, you have the kids table where they talk about kids stuff. And then <laughs> yeah. the adults table. And very often, you know, the adults are having great conversations. They're you know, getting some wine and just like it. Yeah. And the kids run and say, hey, look what I've done. And they're like, yeah, fine. Yeah. Just like go, go play yeah. with the kids. And so often that's what we forget when we talk to CROs. And if we start talking about like the sales enablement tool or whatever, that, that's going to help them. They don't care. They have like, like strategic problems they are thinking about. Right. Like, how do I grab some market shares or how do I make sure my VP of sales and VP of uh, marketing are not ripping each other apart? You know, this Yeah, kind of it's thing. driving efficient, profitable growth. Yeah. So what are their margins? What are their top line? And it's interesting because... Um, I was talking to one of our sales leaders and he, he was coaching his team and said, you'll get archived to who you sound like. Mm -hmm. So yeah. if you sound like a manager, the CRO is going to push you to a manager. If you sound like a director, they're going to push you to the director. If you're speaking their language, they're going to talk with you. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why I think it's so important for folks to listen to podcasts like yours and, and other ones out there to understand the language and the worries and the concerns and the challenges that the C-suite has, because they will talk to you if yeah. you understand their pain. Exactly. Exactly. So on these great uh, words, uh, Mary, I'd love to thank you so much for being on the show. Is there a place where people can hear more of you or, you know, now is basically your time to talk about anything you want. Yeah, thank you so much. So I'm really accessible out on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm posting content. I'm sharing new data, um, asking for um, people to weigh on, on different polls. I'm on Twitter. Um, I can be reached uh, email address, which is mary.shea at outreach.io. And um, I have my own podcast that I host with Harish Mohan, and it's called Revenue Innovators. And we deliver um, new shows every two weeks. So uh, I'm out there and I'd love to connect with your guests or with your, okay. with, your, uh, with your audience rather. I'll put all the links in the show notes so people can actually get in touch. I won't put the email because it's- Yeah, that's overwhelming. Yeah, that sounds great. I, I appreciate <laughs> yeah. that. Just the show, there's the links that, you know, to uh, LinkedIn and, and Twitter and also the podcast. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. Thanks. And um Next time I go to San Miguel de Allende, I'll I'll uh, I'll reach out to you. We were looking for a place to Airbnb, so um, please do. Be... Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thanks, Mary. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to that episode. If you like what you hear and you want to explore more, I invite you to join the Selling Advantage community. It's a paid community we're running with Skip Miller, where you're going to get access to a content library with training, checklist, and exclusive resources. You'll also get access to our experimentation swipe file and a Discord group with 150 Texas people. We also have online events where we invite special guests, a regular Ask Us Anything, and our content is focused on sales for North America and EMEA. If you want to check it out, go to sellingadvantage.io or click on the link in the show notes and you'll be able to sign up. 